the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. I'm Richard Mead, editor of Lloyd's List. Latest estimates suggest that 150,000 seafarers need to be changed over in the next two weeks alone, but tens of thousands are still stuck on their ships due to travel restrictions. Those seafarers that do get off have difficulty returning to their homes, and we know that thousands of crew members are effectively stranded all over the world right now. This is not a new news story for regular listeners to the podcast, or indeed anybody in the shipping industry right now. And we are all well aware of the unified industry efforts and plans to facilitate crew changes. But the reality is that this is turning out to be a slower process than many of us had hoped for. Getting crew rotated is still down the priority list for governments, even as the coronavirus numbers start to ease. Which is why the publication of the cross-industry 12-step plan this week is so important. At first glance, this simply repeats the by now familiar calls on government to facilitate ship crew change during the pandemic. But if you haven't already taken a closer look, now is the time to do so, because this is a serious document. It's been developed with unprecedented cross-industry support and marks a more formalised approach to start working with governments on quickly establishing a set of national and international protocols. It's also telling of the time frame that is now being worked to. I'm joined this week by the International Chamber of Shipping Secretary General Guy Platten, who makes clear that this is not going to end in a few months. We as an industry need to adapt to the new normal, he tells us. It's a wartime situation, says Columbia Ship Management President Mark O'Neill, who also joins me on the podcast this week. While embracing the positives to come out of this, he has been frank from the start with his crew that there are no quick fixes here and that they and the rest of us should be stealing ourselves for a long journey with no natural end point. I start this week by asking Guy Platten to explain why the 12-step plan is so significant. So it's to give reassurance to governments that we as, as, as shipping companies are looking after or mitigating the risk of seafarers contracting it or going on board with COVID-19 from the very start. And that's that's what it's all all based on. So it's each you know it, each protocol is is a, of, a, of quite a length. It includes what the shipping companies will do, what seafarers expected to do, and what the recommendations to governments on the on the back of that. It it builds on things that we've done before, but it gives some more granularity to what needs to happen in order to affect the crew changes. So to us, it's a it's a vital document. We know that effectively some companies are starting to use it already. Um, to good effect um, and we we believe that these protocols will give governments the confidence that the industry is really serious about mitigating the risk and also really serious about seafarers being essential and the, the need to us to affect crew changes because we believe these travel restrictions are going to be in place for some time to come. Mm, and that's key here this does represent an industry view that you know there is no quick fix here i think initially we were talking about you know a slightly fragmented response to governments lifting these and 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 playing it on a country by country basis but i think there is now an industry acceptance that whatever happens next we're in for a fairly long haul of having to instigate measures here so this really can be seen as an industry response that is going to last well beyond the initial uh, daily updates that we're seeing from from governments. Do you think that this is now um, getting the attention it needs uh, at, at a government level? I think previously 
when we had spoken, there was a concern that there was so many priorities for governments to respond to this, that, that shipping, while obviously on the radar, hadn't really percolated up in terms of the priority list. I think it is. I mean, it, this is a, you know, it's, it's been a, a sort of a, a strategy all the way through is to raise the ocean profile, raise the issues, then develop solutions, because I think you can't just keep raising issues without developing solutions. And this is part of us as an industry, developing solutions as how we move forward on this. So that's what I think the, the strength of this document, which, you know, has got complete cross industry support. You know, everyone signed up to this, including the, the social partners, the ITF, you know, everyone signed up to this. And we even had input from IATA into the protocols as well to make sure we were covering those bases. So it's to us, it's now working with governments to implement them. That's that's our, our sort of our key message now. And increasingly, we are finding governments are starting to 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 listen, to understand, to realise that we're taking this seriously, and we understand their concerns, and we're putting in mitigation measures to to help them facilitate this, to help them. Um, identify seafarers as key, as key workers, and that we have to come up with a particular solution for, for, for this group of workers in order if we're going to keep the world supplied moving forward. So yes, we accept, you know, this, this COVID-19 is not going to end in a month's time. This is going to go on for many more months. Uh, it's going to be a new normality, and we've got to be prepared as an industry to adapt to that new normality. Mm. And in terms of this now having an IMO voice, do you think that that's going to allow governments to respond in a slightly more formal way? I think it's fair to say that individually national associations were talking on a, on a local level, but this being an international response, this being a long-term view, this really having the due diligence behind it so governments can implement this ready to go, do you think we're going to see an acceleration of responses? We very much hope so. That's that's the intention. That's the reason why we're doing it. And now we're looking we're looking to how can we work better with governments to implement all of these. We think this is it's a very serious document. It runs to 60 pages. Uh, it's got all sorts of proformers of letters and things like that. This this is really industry saying we we're taking the concerns that governments have about containing the outbreak of COVID-19 very much to heart. But we have got key workers here. We need to affect crew changes. We can't let the current situation go on indefinitely. This is the measures and responses. And I think it's 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 unprecedented um, to develop these sort of protocols at such short notice and in such detail. And you know, hats off to all the different associations and everybody who's inputted into it because it's been a great team effort to get us this far. And finally, it's perhaps an unfair question because no, none of us can predict what is going to happen. But uh, talking to uh, another guest on the podcast this week who was describing the current situation as being warlike uh, operations uh, and also warning his crew that uh, you know they should steal themselves for this being a long haul process i mean any thoughts from you in terms of you know how the industry needs to sort of batten down the hatches and consider this to be new normal for the time being well i think we we're, we're considering it every day i mean it, it it's you know it, this has been going on really since January. You know, the in industry has been affected by this this pandemic since January, when the outbreak happened in in China, and now we are having to adapt to a new normal. I think we're all going to. I mean, every single country. No one's just easing the lockdown restrictions just like that. It's a gradual process. So, uh, and there's no doubt that travel restrictions will be in place for some time to come. 
perhaps until there's a vaccine available or some good therapeutic treatments are available for, the, for this, this awful virus, we have to adapt. And, and, you know, the one thing I'd say about the shipping industry, it does adapt and it's resilient and it, and it puts measures in place. And, and this is just part of this toolkit. You know, in addition to, to, to these, these um, protocols, which we're now have put in place and IMO is distributed to member states, we've also got guidance for shipping companies from ICS on how to, to look after the medical needs of seafarers and, uh, and their protection on COVID-19. It's, it's a, what is a shipshore interface? All these things are being looked at by industry because we recognise that we're not going to go back to where, where it was for some time to come. Wonderful. Uh, Guy Platten, International Chamber of Shipping, thank you very much for joining the Lloyd's List podcast. Columbia Ship Management President Mark O'Neill has been candid from the start with his crew that they should be steeling themselves for a long-term situation rather than hoping for more immediate relief. But he also doesn't want this period to be viewed as a lost period and talks to me this week about the many positives that could yet emerge from this wartime situation, as he puts it, caused by the coronavirus. I, I think the danger is to give them false hope. Let's be quite frank here. I've been very upfront with our crew members insofar as I've said, look, you're not the only one suffering. You know, you're stuck on the vessels, but many staff, if we take our Cyprus office, many staff are under lockdown conditions far more severe than than even in the in the UK and even more, more severe and more pressure than, than on board a vessel with, with with colleagues. So everyone is going through this. It's not just crew members. And, and I think that's important to convey, too, because then why make crew members a special and perhaps an unnecessarily special case? They're, they do have their own the problem does have its own particularities, of course. But I think the danger is to give them false hope. And what I've said in every single one of my uh, videos and, and our contacts with the crew is we just don't know. It could be a matter of weeks. It could be a matter of months. Work on the basis that it's a matter of months and then you won't be disappointed and won't spend the next few weeks and months being wholly depressed and not focusing on your jobs. But we are doing everything possible. We are, together with other managers, raising uh, raising the the profile and, and the, the whole issue of crew rotations with governments and intergovernmental bodies. But do I think something is going to happen quickly? No, just when there's a glimmer of hope, Philippines goes into lockdown or Singapore goes into lockdown or, or, or countries that you thought that crew rotations were possible go uh, suddenly uh, change. So I think uh, there is no point telling one of our Filipino crew members don't worry, we can rotate you in in uh, in the Netherlands or, or in Australia if we can't actually fly him back to the Philippines or if we fly him back to the Philippines, he gets put in um, quarantine for, for 14 days and, and then has a nightmare journey to get to his family. As there is no point in doing that. Much better to keep them safe and uh, properly informed and, and manage their expectations. So... Yes, we are seeing a loosening up. We're, you know, if you if you look at Germany now, we're 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 making great steps here here in Germany. But do I foresee in the very near future Philippines and other key jurisdictions loosening up to the extent that uh, the crew rotations will become free and easy again? No, there is a lot of there is a lot of work between companies now. At um, we started this solidarity among ship managers to try to get ship managers to cooperate. And there are a lot of 
entities and bodies now liaising with ship managers and say, look, if we all have enough crew to fly from A to B, we will charter a flight if it makes sense. But no point taking Filipino crew from Germany to Ukraine and dumping them in Ukraine because there's no flights between Ukraine and Philippines. It's a really difficult one. And I think we're, we're probably looking at another, another couple of months yet before we get to a situation where um, we can safely rotate and safely get home. And I think that's the second, second, it's almost as important as getting the crew off or more important, getting the crew off and then getting them safely home um, uh, to their loved ones. Really, really important. But do you think that unified industry message that has been effectively broadcast at government level, the, the suggestion was it wasn't quite percolating up into the priority list simply because Although important, and uh, I think there was an awareness at a government level, it probably wasn't the number one priority on a daily basis. And uh, given that most governments are taking a, a sort of cabinet level decision on all, all of the coronavirus sort of reaction and responses, that shipping was just never quite top of the agenda. Do you think that message is getting through at government level? I think the, getting... message is, the message is getting through at government uh, government level, but but I also think that we've got to be realistic. If you imagine the the priority list uh, at, at government level, I think you know getting crew rotated and home uh, is probably something they think comes middle way down the list because you know I talked about us being in a wartime situation. And I've talked about that to our crew members as well and, and making them feel proud that they're, they're helping. In a wartime situation, crew on board vessels, don't talk about when am I gonna get home, when am I gonna get rotated? It's it's steal yourselves for the long journey uh, and uh, you know be alive to the fact that, that, that there isn't a natural, uh, there's not a natural end point to this. We will do whatever we can and we'll put the pressure but uh, much better for people to steal themselves than to keep asking the question, when am I going home? When am I going home? We, we have a, we have a, a, a duty to, to put pressure uh, up the, the food chain and, and get it to, um, you know, get it, get it on people's agendas. And I think we, we're, we're doing that. And uh, I, think, I don't think we can do more. Your, your wartime scenario is a, is a much quoted nugget, I guess, in the industry. And I think it has resonated with a lot of people. I mean, extending that a little bit, I mean, how do you think this newfound collaboration, cooperation, the, the catalyzed innovation, I guess we've discovered, how do you think that's going to last into peacetime, if you will? And, and how do you think the industry's measured up during this wartime scenario? Yeah, I, I think the industry's done incredibly well. And, you know, the, the, the more time I spend in the industry, as opposed to perhaps in my previous career being an advisor, the, the more proud I am of of how adaptive and flexible and resilient the the business uh, is. I think the difference between this crisis and the 2008 crisis is that because of its shocking fundamental nature, people have been much more willing to um collaborate and cooperate and, and show solidarity and uh you know certainly uh, the, the various initiatives we've started were all decided at top level within seconds yes of course it makes sense let's do it and and there was no issue of you know what am i going to get for this and what are, what what are you, what are you going to pay me and uh, who's keeping uh, who's keeping a record so i think the industry has shown itself to be very sensitive, but also incredibly adaptive and uh, flexible to take uh, to take this in. I think 
uh, as far as wartime scenario is concerned, uh, I, I talked about uh, stealing ourselves and, and not just the crew, but also staff. We have to steal ourselves for the future. It is the new norm is very, very different and will be very, very different from uh, the, the old. And and we have to all have a reality check and, and, and be appreciative that our bottom lines are going to be affected. There are going to be clients who are going to need a little bit more leniency uh, and, 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 and tolerance than others. Uh, but by the same token, what's been incredible is that we've been thrown much closer to our clients, much closer to our competitors than was previously the case. We now have uh, regular monthly client uh, video calls where all the clients can come on uh, on board and, and we can give them the latest updates, but also hear back from them. You know, this this wouldn't have happened beforehand. We would have done our, we would have seen our clients in the usual way, but to be open and transparent and communicative with our clients in the way we are and really partnership i mean we 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 talk about partnership lots but actually now the true partnerships are being forged and uh, will be developed i really do think going forward uh, you know in in this crisis you really know who your friends are you really know who your friends aren't and and uh, you know it, you establish relationships with clients which will hopefully uh, uh, be extremely long enduring. So, so I think uh, wartime wartime scenario. A lot of good came out of uh, uh, wartime scenarios, uh, and and a lot of really good ideas and initiatives uh, are born out of them. And 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 so I, I think it's important to take positives. Do you do you think? that those new ways of working uh the innovation we've seen the basics of you and i talking you mm -hmm. know across platforms like this do you think that is now going to sustain itself and and perhaps catalyze new ways of working i'm thinking particularly in terms of ship management the the collaboration you've you've mentioned there you know let's be let's be frank ship management is a uh, a thin margin and a very competitive business yes. um you the, the the prospect of the major ship managers coming together collaborating um is an interesting one but i'm assuming you have found efficiencies there in the way that the industry as a whole operates do you think there's anything that we could take forward as an industry or do you think we're just going to settle back into our competitive silo i, I think um, i i think i i i, I asked uh, a few weeks ago and, and repeated today, uh, actually, at uh, the sort of weekly directors meeting we have, I, I want everybody, all each of our departments to look at the business model for the future, what we've learned from this, because as I said, again, I don't want this to be a lost three or four months or five months. I want positives to come out of uh, COVID-19. It would be a crying shame if if at the end of this year we say, well, well 2020 was a, was a write-off and, and, and we just simply revert back to what we, we did and how we did it uh, before. So that's it at group level. We will be looking at how we have been doing things now and how we will do things in the future, changing from, from the past. I talked previously about localization of the business. You know, we can't, it's a fact, we can't send technical superintendents and marine superintendents to visit our vessels now. In the past, that's what we did. That had a cost factor to it. We've now localized our business so that we're able to rely on local surveying firms to do part of this. They won't take over the full responsibility, but to do part of the, the vessel visits that previously we would send people to do, which works, which works really, really well and may 
um, you know, have a cost benefit to us and our and our clients. Working from home, do we, as the business expands, will we need to take new offices on? No, we won't because uh, the the hot desking principle that Scandinavians have practiced for so long is 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 staring us in the face. A lot of people can do part of their jobs perhaps all of their jobs from home. They perhaps only need to come into the office once a week or twice a week or, or half of a day and, and, and not the full day. So working from home with these platforms actually has accentuated, has improved our performance. It hasn't um, in any way uh, denigrated it. Mental health, you know, we, we started, uh, because it was a particular obsession um, of mine, we started a mental health hotline a year or so, a year and a half ago for, for this business. Uh, it's now rolling out to, to, to other businesses. We have 24-7, two psychologists giving our crew and our shore staff mental health support. That's something that was going to stay with us. It must stay with us because I can tell you now, when you go back into your office, as I did two weeks ago, there are fears and anxieties associated with that. We can't downplay them. People have families, people have loved ones, and all of a sudden they're mixing with potential infectors and they're going home and bringing this back in that they've been so careful to protect. Mental health is a huge uh, issue. Technology, you talked earlier about technology. Uh, I am probably a dinosaur in that regard, insofar as I probably, hand up, have never ordered anything from eBay or Amazon in my life. Uh, because I, I, I resisted that uh, that inevitable slide. Now I'm doing it all the time. You know, if you if you look at that on a wider level, here I am talking to you on Teams. I have LifeSize. I have Storm. I'm now familiar with all of these different platforms that 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 fortunately we can cater for, uh, but that we're all now very versant with. So uh, technology is being thrust upon us. It's a really really good um, uh, good thing. And I think also uh, what I think comes out most from COVID-19 for, for, for this organization is that there has been a focusing on what really matters. And, uh, you know, we've all spent time at home thinking about the shape of our business, thinking what we personally want out of life and out of our working life, what we want for our colleagues. And it's not all about the bottom line. It's also about doing the right thing in the right way and, and what really matters in our life. And I think that's part, I, I, when uh, in, in a month or so, we will be conducting a big survey of our shore staff and our uh, on board our crew uh, about what matters to them so that we can formulate this business, that we can structure this business in a way that ticks more boxes than than than, than perhaps in, in the past it's done. Because I think COVID-19 really has pulled us all back to what is important in life and view, view and we can, we can see that in our own personal uh, lives as well. And I talked about crew benefits, et cetera, and that's an example um, of, of, of this. You know, we, we have to we have to reflect on what we've learned and, and, and go forward. It would be a crying shame, I think, to come out to the extent we come out but to, uh, to, to, to come out of, uh, of this crisis and, and revert straight back to the, the, the ways we did things before. Wonderful. Mark O'Neill, President of Columbia Ship Management. Thank you very much for joining the Lloyd's List podcast. Thanks, Richard. Pleasure. Take care.